Good morning. The reading today is Philippians 1, verses 3 to 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Please keep that passage open from the Bible, and let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its power. Thank you that it is your message to each one of us. Help us now to understand it, to believe it, and take it to our hearts so that we may have faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I had an aunt who was a missionary to Nigeria, to the Igbo people in Nigeria. And this was before the days of WhatsApp, before the internet. So what she used to do was record a message from herself on a cassette, remember those? And she would send the cassette home to her family in Wales, and the family would gather round to, to listen to Auntie Megan's voice. It mattered a great deal to them that they could hear her voice. And these tape messages and other letters were absolutely crucial in keeping the love alive between Auntie Megan and her family back in Wales. We're very blessed these days, aren't we? It's much easier to keep in touch. We have WhatsApp, etc. We saw last week that Philippians is a friendship letter. Paul has a deep, loving relationship with the Philippians. And he's nurturing that relationship as he writes to the Philippians. And so today, we look at his prayer for the Philippians. And it's all about love. Look at verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Paul is praying for more love for the Philippians. Paul loves them. The Philippians love Paul. Together, they must grow in their love for Jesus. I've broken these verses into three sections. Confident love right love, and discerning love. Firstly then, confident love, verses 3 to 6, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. That's a wonderful thing to say. 
Every time Paul thinks of the Philippians, he thanks God for them. I can say that about Christchurch Baldock. You've loved me and my family for 14 years, and I'm very grateful to you. We've seen that Philippians conforms to the standard form of a friendship letter. This is what scholars call the health wish. Paul has taken the standard form of a friendship letter and given it a Christian twist. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I always thank God for you. I always rejoice over you. I pray for you with joy. Why is Paul so confident about the Philippians? Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word for partnership is also translated fellowship. Communion, participation in. But here the context dictates that the translators use the word partnership. The Philippians' fellowship with Paul in Christ, in the gospel, expresses itself in hard work, in commitment to the cause, in partnership in the gospel. And here is the heart of Paul's confidence, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul loves the Philippians. They're his close friends. He always thanks God for them. He always prays with joy for them because they've been loyal partners in the work. Paul, of course, is writing from prison. The Philippians have partnered with Paul in his ministry and now in his imprisonment. They've sent him aid while in prison. They've been loyal partners. And the reason Paul is so confident about the Philippians is verse 6, that God, who began a good work in them, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is going to carry on working in the Philippians until the day that Christ returns. And on that day, the Philippians will be complete. They will lack nothing they'll be fully mature in Christ. This truth is hugely comforting when we think of our loved ones or friends from church who seem to have given up on following Jesus. I had a cousin who was baptised as a teenager but then wandered away from the Lord and sadly died in his early 30s. We cling to the truth that he who began 
a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God completes what he begins. He doesn't leave the job half finished. Confident love. Secondly, right love. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Sometimes we feel a bit embarrassed to express love or to receive love. We talk about people gushing, and that can be cringy. It's not very British to say, I love you. But Paul insists, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. It's right that I love you. I have you in my heart. Because whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We have a common experience, says Paul. We share in God's grace. We share in the experience of undeserved blessing. We share in the experience of being sustained by God's grace. Paul is currently in chains. He's often defending or confirming the gospel. In it all, the Philippians are there, right by his side, visiting him in prison, meeting his needs, praying for him, strengthening him. A friend of mine works for Voice of the Martyrs, which is one of the organizations that supports the persecuted church. It was founded by Richard Wurmbrand in 1967. One of the leaders of Voice of the Martyrs is Petr Jasek from the Czech Republic. Petr Jasek himself was on business in Sudan supporting persecuted Christians when he himself was arrested and imprisoned for 445 days. This was a terrible experience for Petr Jasek and his family, but it was also an example of the kind of Christian fellowship, partnership in the gospel that Paul describes here. The church community in the Czech Republic, the wider VOM community, came together and supported Petr Jasek and his family. And so Petr Jasek's family could say what Paul says here about the Christians who supported them. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you. It is right that I love you. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you 
with the affection of Christ Jesus. I long for you. I love you with the affection of Jesus. As Jesus loves you, so I love you. This is why church really matters. We're not just a group of acquaintances. We're not just people who happen to share the same interests. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It is right that we feel this way about one another. We share in God's grace together. You can't just walk away from church fellowship, from partnership in the gospel. We belong to one another. We're responsible for one another. So we've seen confident love, right love, and thirdly, discerning love, verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul loves the Philippians and prays for more love for them, that their love may abound more and more. But this is not just an emotional feeling of love. This love is practical. It's to abound more and more in knowledge. So Paul wants the Philippians to know God more and more. He wants them to know God's truth more and more. He wants them to develop depth of insight more and more. The ESV has discernment. Paul wants them to grow in love and therefore in the ability to discern what is good and what is best, verse 10. In other words, the Christian life isn't just a list of rules. Do this. Don't do that. There are certain rules. There are laws in the Bible. The Ten Commandments, for example. All the commands of Jesus and his apostles. There are rules. But the Christian life is a relationship. It's about knowing God as our Father and Jesus as our brother. And certain decisions are not matters of right and wrong. There aren't always rules that tell you what to do. Should I give more or less money to that missionary? Should I allow myself time to watch that TV program? Should I read that book? Should I spend the day with my children? Or should I visit my parents? There are all kinds of decisions which are not matters of right and wrong. 
They're not sinful or non-sinful. But they do require depth of insight, discernment, to know what is the best use of time, the best use of resources. And when the love of God abounds in knowledge and depth of insight, then we become more mature and more able to discern what is best. So if we're struggling to figure out what's the best use of our time and energy and resources, pray with Paul that we would abound with love for God and in knowledge and depth of insight that we might know what is best. And then this affects our experience on the day of judgment. We discern what is best and we're made pure and blameless for the day of Christ. On the day when we stand before Christ, it will be revealed how much we loved God, how knowledgeable we were in the Bible, how discerning we were, how well we made decisions, how pure and blameless we became. Nothing matters more than Jesus' opinion of us on the day of judgment. The Christian person is safe for that day. The Christian person is forgiven. The Christian person is declared innocent. But there's still a judgment of rewards for the Christian. We're definitely saved from hell for heaven. We're definitely welcomed in God's presence. But speaking to Christians in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we're definitely saved, but Jesus will still make a judgment. A judgment about how we lived our Christian lives. My pastor in Oxford used to say, this was about the warmth of the handshake. We will definitely get a handshake. We'll definitely be welcomed into heaven. But some will be welcomed with more warmth than others. Wesley and Whitfield were fellow Methodists in the great Christian revival of the 18th century. They agreed on just about everything except how we're to understand the sovereignty of God. Wesley was an Arminian. Whitfield was a Calvinist. Wesley emphasized human decision, human agency in the Christian life. Whitfield 
emphasized God's sovereignty, the way that God overrules human agency. It said that when Wesley and Whitfield were at odds on theology and ecclesiastical matters, one of Wesley's adherents asked him, do you think we'll see Mr. Whitfield in heaven? No, he answered, I do not. I think he'll be so near the throne and you and I so far away that we shall not get within sight of him. I don't know whether Wesley was right about that. I don't know if some Christians will be nearer the throne as a reward. But I do believe in some kind of judgment for the Christian. After all, James says that those of us who teach will be judged more strictly. We will have to give an account for the way we've lived our Christian lives. What we need is to abound in love more and more so that we may grow in knowledge and depth of insight, in discernment, so that we may clearly know what is best and may make decisions which glorify Jesus and please him, which he will acknowledge on the day of judgment. We'll be seen to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is love with a purpose. This is love that makes us righteous. This is love which continually drives us to Christ, to trusting him, to loving him, to following him, filling us with good fruit. It's harvest time. The trees are heavy with fruit. We should be full of good fruit. The fruit of a life which loves Jesus. The fruit of righteousness. Good deeds. The fruit which Jesus produces in us. Do you remember in John 15 verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So love in Philippians is like remaining or abiding in John 15. We love Jesus. We stay connected to Jesus. We stay in close fellowship with him, reading his word, praying, coming to church, going to home group, serving Jesus. We abide in him, we remain in him, we live our lives connected to him 
and we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The end point is not that people say, say, what a wonderful person I am. The end point is that people see our good deeds. That's the fruit of righteousness. And those who watch us give glory to God. As Jesus put it in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We want to attract people to God by the lives that we lead. So how much do we love God? How much do we love one another? Can we say of one another, I always pray with joy for you. I'm so confident of your partnership in the gospel. I'm so confident that the work God has begun in you, he will complete. Can we say of one another, it's right for me to feel this way. I have you in my heart. You share in God's grace with me. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And through it all, we long for one another to abound more and more in love. Love which leads to discernment and good decision-making and blamelessness for the day of Christ. Well, shall we pray for one another in this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our partnership in the gospel. Thank you for our fellowship, our communion in the gospel. Thank you that we're friends and brothers and sisters because we know you and have experienced your love. Father, take us deeper into these things, we pray. Would we know you better? Would we know your word better? Would we love and serve you more wholeheartedly? And Father, if there are any here today who don't know you yet, draw them to yourself, we pray. We pray that for all our unconverted friends and family and colleagues and neighbours and all those that we know. Lord, do a great work, we pray, which will glorify Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.